What's up, my brothers and sisters? Now, I've got to keep this short because this is a very long podcast. And just like anybody else that's really moved by music, I am also one of those fanatics. And in this podcast episode, I speak with a man named Bill Protzman from San Diego. He's a composer. He's a drum circle facilitator, an altruistic leader involved in nonprofits such as Guitar for Vets and other agencies that help the homeless. And what's great about this guy is that when people need help to transition from a harsh life to something more, he holds that space where they can be creative and exercise their natural creative abilities. And one of the many reasons why he chose this path is because during his dark times, music helped and saved his life. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and uh, welcome to my Practice Perspective podcast. This is a podcast where I like to get people's perspective because based on uh, from your credentials and uh, what you told me before listening to some of my, my guests, uh, perspectives are, are plenty. They're, they're a multitude. And you have a fascinating one with music. Can you kind of just give me a background on how you kind of slowly came in to realize that music was your passion? Oh, sure. It's a lifelong story. Like um, one of your guests who was, grew up in a musical family, my mom was a piano teacher and I was student number one. So I, I was like, you couldn't say no, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> when mom okay. is a teacher. So I, I grew up learning to play the piano and really not liking it for a long time. And then I sort of came into my own with the piano when that amazing movie, The Sting, came out. So that's old school. People don't remember that anymore. But it was like, you know, Robert Redford and Paul mm-hmm. Newman. And the music, the, tra- the soundtrack in the movie was ragtime. And, you know, I've been playing Beethoven and Bach and Mozart and whatever. So when ragtime came along, it was like, whoa, this is cool. Something new, huh? It was new. It was different. And I could play it. And it was on, like, you know, pop radio is playing what they're playing, like, now in the 21st century. But imagine ragtime on pop radio back in the day. It was <laughs> that big. I mean, it was huge. Yeah. And, and, and I could how play How old it. were you at that time? You're I was in fifth grade. So fifth I don't grade. know. 12, 13, you know, okay. 11, but incredible to be able to finally play music that people wanted to hear on a piano. Right. Mm-hmm. So that changed everything. And it, it got me in touch with this wonderful thing of performance of being able to be in a room with other people and share the music with them in a way that was exciting and meaningful and not just, Oh God, here we go for Elise again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that really did change everything. And, and ever since then, I've become more and more curious about why this thing, this sound and rhythm, has such an incredible effect on people and, yeah. and what those effects are. And, you know, like the science and all that is fascinating to me. But it all boils down to the fact that, you know, I, I get to be at the nexus of that. I get to open people to music in a way that allows them to change. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's incredible. That is just really incredible. I think every musician is in that place. Whether they know it or not, they're doing it. That, that, that's happening. You can't help it. You know, we're built, we're human being resonators. We just resonate for sound and rhythm. And so if you're playing music, you're listening to it, whatever, it's having an effect on you. Mm-hmm. And you can use that knowledge and just either jump over the competition if it's getting ahead is your thing, or you can use that knowledge and recover from post-traumatic stress if that's your thing, or whatever it is, you know, like singing your kid to sleep. Mm-hmm. Parents have been doing that for centuries. And it it works. Yeah, on Netflix there is a uh, a Vox um, segment where they have um, they expound on on music and how uh, they really did, they did a really good job on elaborating how we hear a sound and it's just sound to us whether it's like a click clack 
something falling, but becomes music once you start to put a, a rhythm to it and then you mess with the tempo and then you add another beat, another rhythm to it. And then it, it's just crazy how they, they really uh, hone in on the difference of like, we hear sounds every day, but we don't really necessarily classify it as music. Music something where you put a little bit more consciousness to it and, uh, and kind of mess around with rhythm and tempo. Have you seen that segment on, uh, on Netflix with Vox? I, have, I haven't seen the segment, but I completely relate to what they're saying because sound, you know, just like, that's like, okay, that's just, eh. yeah. The moment that you vary that either by going, eh, eh, or put some tempo behind it eh, 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 and, <laughs> and you get that kind of a, it, it, it combines something that's really important. So the basic idea there is tension and release. Everything that vibrates, like our heart, it, it contracts, expands, tension, release. And that is where you get music. Once you introduce that tension release, you've got music. And it could be as simple as banging on a log. You know, you get bang, that's tension, you release it. There's silence, that's the release. Mm-hmm. So I, I completely resonate with what Vox is saying. I have to look that up. The science that's coming out these days, I mean, Michael, when I was growing up, we had no science. People knew music was powerful. But mm-hmm. now we've got like research and science and there's a whole, I think it's called neural music, some website hosted over in Denmark where they sort of com- combine all the most recent science and neuroscience and musical uh, science in one place. And uh, it, it's phenomenal. The interest in, in how music is working right now, it's just beautiful. I don't have to do any work anymore. I just consume the science and I can <laughs> explain it to people and say, Hey, and they make music for them. And, explain yeah. how that music is working like right there in the moment it's cool so you don't have a uh, a specific genre that you favor it sounds like you are on the whole spectrum of just really appreciating music as a whole and um i mean am i wrong do you have like a, a specific genre that you like to favor or well you know it's like flavors of ice cream <laughs> <laughs> um so the, the science before i answer that question for you the, the science is that the music that you love is your most powerful music so when you have that emotional tie, you know, that is really the, the music that does it for you. Um, because of what I do, I've been building emotional ties to music for a long, long time. But if you think back in your life, like in adolescence is where it starts to come alive. And that's sort of the period of time where our musical memories form, and where our musical likes and dislikes are mm-hmm. obvious. And, and for every one of us, that's a different era of music, basically. Although, you know, I grew up in a weird time learning that ragtime, you know, was my pop music. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn about the Beatles later, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, um, you know, clearly I'm, I'm a huge Beatles fan. That movie yesterday just, it made me weep. It was so beautiful. And, um, imagine that nobody in the world has ever heard of the Beatles. And then you encounter their music and it's brand new for you at whatever phase of life you're in. And you hear it for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is outstanding and sublime. So, I mean, down the road a piece, when you start to get bored with the music that you grew up with and you start to look for new stuff, like, hey, what's grunge hop? That is so cool, man. I got to look that up, <laughs> you know, yeah. or jazz metal. A buddy of mine plays jazz metal. It's like multi-instrumentalist, whatever. I, I love this stuff. Just like being aware of the new things that are out there. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's incredible. And it's so easy these days. But what's my favorite? Oh, I, you know, some days I like um, classical music. I need to be in, this, in a sort of a melancholy place. Mm-hmm. Nothing does that for me, like sitting down and playing some rock man and off. 
Um, happy place. There's so much out there that's happy from ragtime to farewell Williams. I mean, never have sakes. The song's called happy, <laughs> but um, you know, I learned about Lizzo with everybody else and man, is that woman happy? She's got such incredible joy in her, in her music. It blows me away. Um, and, and then there are others too. I mean, it was on a podcast the other day and somebody said, Hey Bill, what's your favorite rap? And I'm like, well, you may not know about these guys, but, um, and, and I was talking about, I think Flatbush zombies or something. Oh, there is okay. so much talent out there and such incredible music is being made and yeah. recorded. And, uh, the excitement of being able to learn about and find all this stuff. Uh, it just lets me take anything that happens to be in the back of my memory and bring it into connect it to a mood. And in that moment, you know, that's my music. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's just beautiful that way. And, and so I'm, I'm a real, um, I don't know. I wouldn't call myself a connoisseur. I'm, I'm, I'm into the appreciation thing, <laughs> but there are times where I need to hear music that like blows me out of the place I'm in. And to find that music is often just totally random. Like God, we have this Bluetooth thing in the car where you, you get into the car and your phone goes in the cradle and then yeah. random music is played. It just, the car decides what to play, right? Or some technological randomizer does and i'll tell you what nine times out of ten it's the right music and i don't know what it's going to (laughs) be but it always meets me where i am and um, they're getting better at uh at you know having a better algorithm to match the i guess your mood or your your taste mood yeah so no yeah i had to ask because um just there's so much new genres coming out nowadays and because of our technology is allowing is allowing for um, people just having that creative expression. Yeah. And uh, whether it's rap, grunge, pop, um, indie, um, it's, it's pretty amazing to me because I was never really into rap when I grew up. I grew up um, 1990s, some 90s kids. So okay, yeah. more grunge, more rock, uh, ska punk came around. And then later on, you know, when I, people have that growth period of, of, um, kind of stepping out of your comfort zone is when I started experimenting with some other rap and some other music. And, and then, uh, my cousin, he got me my first guitar actually. Sweet. And, um, I, I've taught myself, I've been playing for, I don't know how many years, um, probably like 20 plus years now. And it's crazy how, uh, how therapeutic it is to kind of just be by yourself and just play with a couple of strings and make some patterns. Yeah. And then you build off of that and then you start to just, you know, manipulate your patterns and make new songs and uh, and it's kind of a, a meditative state because you're you're holding this space of being creative with, with sound and it's it's nothing it's nothing um extravagant you know uh you're a great pianist i i heard your your spotify your two uh discographies on spotify and uh i remember when i was younger you know I'm, i was intimidated by a uh, grand piano it just sounds so beautiful and just the, the instrument is different because you have to use two hands in a way that I was not used to. I was just used to the guitar. Oh, right, right. But once you learn one instrument, once you have that bond and you have that creative space, it's, uh, it's amazing how far it can take you. And then you start to appreciate other instruments of what it can do. And so it's crazy how this technology, garage band, computers, people are just manipulating and doing slight tweaks to make their own songs and their own creative expression. I feel like in many ways, it's, it's a, a form of communication. Like I can listen to somebody improvising and they're trying to tell me something, not in words, but they're trying to tell me something, share with something with me. 
And if I'm in the same band at the same time, I can improvise something back to them, right? And say, whatever response, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that communication is phenomenal to me. I, I think we could probably do a podcast like that where, you know, like one, one person on one end plays their thing and the other person plays their thing and then it goes back and forth <laughs> and then we stop and talk about it, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a great idea. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up. That was uh, one of my questions further down the line. Uh, I saw that you, uh, you are a drum circle facilitator. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember, I, I mean, um, I, used, I lived in L.A. for two years. And, of course, uh, Venice Beach, they are infamous for having these nice oh, yeah. grand drum circles. Um, and my first one over there, uh, probably just like a little smidget of, of Burning Man. Like, it's just this weird, beautiful, diverse gathering of people. And, um, and, and seeing these, uh, these people just continue a beat with the drums and the instruments they, they had, it, it was amazing. And I saw that they're on a, on a different level than the people that are enjoying it. Everybody's enjoying it, right? Right, right. But the people facilitating the, the beat and the, the songs, um, they're, they're on a different level of like holding the space for these people. And you said it, I think, and when you were talking about playing and how it's sort of meditative, yeah, you know, you kind of get into the that spiritual place or that other place, and you're just in the flow. So, how do you how do you become a, a drum facilitator? How did you? Because, and I'm I'm really glad that you kind of verbalized it. Where it, it totally is a way of communicating. Oh yeah, completely. Um, it you don't have to be like an ultra talented musician to become a drum circle facilitator and and I highly recommend it by the way because there's so much you can do playing drums with people that you can't do any other way like that communication thing that's you learn so much about playing music with someone or singing with someone that you can't learn any other way it's like a different do it you just got to do it so um how do we do it well there's a great music therapy organization here in San Diego that does so much for military and veterans and I was involved, I was in the lane volunteering um, with Guitars for Vets at the time, mm-hmm. another nonprofit. And, um, you know, so you, you get information. And one of the things that came my way was this opportunity to become a drum circle facilitator. It was a day-long class, and there were about 20 of us there. And my wife and I both went. And um, this master drum circle, uh, what is her name? Christine Stevens, who is who it is. Uh, she's international. She does work everywhere. And and she was doing it. And it's like, wow, we have an opportunity to sit with Christine Stevens and, and you know, take her class and, and become certified. How could you pass it up? That's awesome. So we did. And um, I've, I run drum circles a traditional way too, but I've discovered in my work with homeless people and folks who are at risk and when there's behavioral health issues and things like that, that sometimes it's fun to drum to a playlist. Mm. So... Um, I've put together a couple of playlists for different reasons, you know, hour long playlist so that there's a defined emotional uh, ride that goes on. Like you'd program a concert, you know, you, you have a big opening and then you do some new stuff for people that may have heard before Okay. and you lead them into a ballad and then you, you just sort of go for it at the end. So there's an emotional arc and um, that's been really successful. So I've done those for a long, long time. And actually drumming to music that you'd hear on the radio or if you're listening to Spotify or iTunes or whatever and streaming it, it's kind of fun to participate in that music. It's like a live remix on top of whatever you're listening to. So uh, that's been great fun. And it seems to be something people resonate with. And so I do them that way. Got to have a pretty nice PA to you know be louder than the drums. 
Yeah. But get this dude. So, so the, the nonprofit I was working at this agency that served homeless people, uh, they were down in the East village, San Diego. So that's kind of close to the barrio and all that. It's like San Diego's growing and gentrifying and they're, they're pushing homeless people further and further out of town and East village is where the agency was. So we would okay. do this drum circle thing once a month outside big PA turned up as loud as I dared. And, you know, like cops would drive by and give us the thumbs up and <laughs> we got, you know, a few people in the businesses around would call once in a while. And the, the, the agency was amazing. They just say, no, that's our drum circle. You want to come by? <laughs> that's awesome. You know, people would come off the street and we'd hand them a drum and it, it was great fun. It was just so amazing to see you know, my students, the homeless people who are transitioning and regular folks off the street drumming together. And, you know, it's, yeah. And, and, you know, it has its difficulties too, but what a blast, you know, to see people connect like that, man. That's, yeah, that was incredible. I gotta, I gotta check that out because, um, I'm actually a veteran myself. And, uh, so when I saw that on your, on your LinkedIn and you just hearing you talk about it, like I gotta check it out myself now. It's, it sounds pretty amazing. May I ask uh, what branch and what you served at? What yeah, you- I was in uh, the Marine Corps and um, sweet. Just uh, one one term of four years, uh, yeah. 2010 to 2014. Um, got pretty lucky. I was in when Obama was in office, so he was trying to limit any more personnel to go to Iraq or Afghanistan. So yes. my deployments were uh, just on Amuse military expeditionary units. Yeah. And um, so we got to sail around with the Navy and the nice, unit yeah. I was with is uh, recon Marines. And so. Oh, perfect. Trained just like the seals. You got to jump out of airplanes, swim in the yeah. ocean, drown a little bit, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was a great time. I'm, so, I'm glad to hear you say that. That's um, that, that isn't the typical experience that your veterans talk about. No, that's yeah. And uh, yeah, you're and, totally right. You know, Hey, you pledge your life for the country. It might as well be, you know, good, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and hey, no disrespect, if you've been in, if you're listening and you've been in country, you've been deployed into one of the combat zones, or you've had experiences outside of those combat zones that are traumatic, um, you know, it, it, it takes people who are willing to give that much to really open the possibilities for the rest of us. We wouldn't be talking about post-traumatic stress or even it's called post-traumatic growth now. We wouldn't be talking about it without our military being brave enough to say, yeah, this is what happened to me and we need help and we need to get through this. We need to transform this experience in a way that really helps people. So, um, you know, thanks for being a part of that, Michael. It's, it's important. Um, no, yeah, but I got to say thank you for what what you're doing because you're really helping, uh, uh, facilitate a healing journey for, for wounded veterans to, to have a, uh, course of action. And, yeah, that, and that's it's quite a beautiful way to, to do it with music. So kudos to you on that. That's that's amazing. Well, thank you. You know, with, with music or whatever whatever your lane is, once you find that you're passionate about something, you just can't hold back. You know, you just can't not do it. And um, mm-hmm. that's sort of been the story of my life. It's it's nice to be able to have this music thing. It's great to play for people. Uh, entertaining is fun. I love being on stage. But, oh, my gosh, man, if, if you can use music as medicine, wow, let's do that. Let's, let's play that way instead of just keeping it as background yeah. entertainment or whatever. Let, let's go for the, for the therapeutic value of it and learn how to do that for ourselves and, and really change things here. So I'm glad you, uh, you said that because um, uh, have you ever, I mean, it's all over the media now, 
people are doing uh, these indigenous, indigenous ceremonies, ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I actually conducted a, or not conducted, but I experienced a ayahuasca ceremony and the way the shaman kind of holds that space is he, he, you know, he sings songs and he, and he prays and, yeah. and, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know. Have you ever had any experience like that? Or have you noticed the, like the shamanic way of using music and drum beats to help people with post-traumatic stress, whether it's behavioral disorders or just they're using music to really help them dive into their mind, their psyche and express this, something that they're burying deep down inside. I've had some experiences like that, but to answer your question directly, I, I would very much like to have an ayahuasca experience at some point. Um, there's other things they're finding out there, psilocybin, DMT. Um, I have a good buddy in Florida who's a Vietnam era veteran, and he's experimented widely with this kind of stuff uh, to see if it helps with post-traumatic stress. And uh, it, it's been fascinating for him. But the actual musical journey, um, I've been very honored to be present a few different times where veterans encounter music in a new way. And to see to see them light up with that, awareness because it's more than just knowledge it's like it's a full body experience um similar i guess to what happens when you feel like your skin crawling but yeah. not as dramatic as if you were like acid tripping or in an ayahuasca in a shamanic ayahuasca ceremony mm -hmm. um it's somewhere in the middle there this thing that happens you can just tell there's been a change and to be part of that in no way am I ever going to claim credit for that because that change is always individual. But if you can open the space for that and be present when it happens, there's no amount of money that you could pay to be in that place there. It, it goes beyond any kind of, uh, you know, value that you could put on it in our material world. It's truly a spiritual gift to be present when that happens. And, uh, you know, if, the more of that that I can do, the better, mm -hmm. but it's also nonlinear. It's like, you can't, <laughs> I, I couldn't say, okay, Michael, I'm going to play this music at you and you're going to transform. That's no, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, uh, you've done it. Right. <laughs> but yeah. we know what opens us up for that. And it's like the ceremonial chanting and, and psychotic and not antipsychotics, but um, one of my psychedelics. And um, it's, it's like the experience of what church used to be when going to church was like a return to the womb. Mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell used to talk about this. The churches were built so that the people could come in and return to the, to the mother, mother um, church is what they're called, Notre Dame, right? it's our mother. And it was supposed to be that mystical environment with the priest swinging the thing that makes the smoke and chanting in a language nobody knows. And just like, you're supposed to be in the, in the, uh, the spiritual, curious, amazing, ethereal place and church isn't like that, but ayahuasca ceremonies, I understand are, <laughs> and yeah. we need that, you know, we crave mm -hmm. that. And music is the thing that helps open us up, open, shuts down the left analytical hemisphere of your brain, opens the right, um, nonlinear inspirational place where all of that intuitive stuff can come in and begin to work on us. No. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, kind of crazy how it's like pretty apparent that's in our dna like we want this this music this creative expression and i never really thought it like that where in church terms it was kind of the return to the womb to be in that that visceral amazing sublime space 
And uh, of course, I mean, you know, the womb is, is where it's going to be at. But yeah, music, with, with music and, and chanting and yeah, it's it's a um, you know, being a musician is is hard. Obviously, it's not something that's valued in our society the way it is valued. Even in Europe, you can make a better living as a musician, I understand, than you can in America. And we're not talking about, you know, people at the top of the charts here. We're, we're talking about your average, you know, not, not um, how do I even say this politely? Musicians that are working musicians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a responsibility in that. It's not just making the notes happen. There's something more. And the musicians that really grasp that, even though they're, they're, they're just there to play the notes in the studio, whatever it is, they understand there's sort of a gift that comes with a responsibility. Um, I think it was D'Artagnan that said this, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and, and using that wisely, you really have to be aware that, okay, I'm in a situation where all I've got to do is play the notes accurately, boom, done. Or I'm in a situation where I'm, you know, here I am with my trumpet in the studio, and that's one thing. And now I'm going to go out and I'm going to play taps at a military funeral. Two different things. Yeah. The notes are important, but the military funeral is a place of great honor and respect. Much, much greater often than what happens at the day job in the studio. And if you're not conscious of that, you've missed an opportunity. And if you are conscious of it, you realize the great responsibility of being able to create this this moment for the people who are honoring their loved one who's being buried and that that is your responsibility as you play taps it, it changes everything in such a beautiful way so you're a composer as well right yes guilty as charged <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah I've written a few things so that first album out there of solo piano stuff that was completely inspired improvised one take stuff oh wow really and I have yet to write it down and even remember how to play a lot of it, but it's in there. You know, if I had to, I probably could. But I've had the opportunity to compose for this reason or that, and um, in a small way, been able to put some stuff out there that I feel good about and um, that says something, you know, in a way that's important. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that and own the, own the creative part of it as well, uh, even though it's sort of not my main line, but it's fun to do. It's great to have new ideas and come up yeah. with you know, music that's never been heard before. And I oh mean, gosh, if that's, if that's you and you're making that kind of music and those songs, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm blown away. You know, um, jazz musicians have that ability to just sit down and do it. And I'm blown away by them and being able to work with people who are in that line is just such a gift. Yeah. So I, I could say, um, I'm, a, I'm actually a struggling musician myself, <laughs> So Good, glad that yeah. we got in contact. I'm going to have to pick your brain on a, on a lot of things. But um, yeah, we're, me and my cousin, uh, we, we get in sync, we jam, we really resonate with each other. Um, he's phenomenal at the drums as well. That's so, perfect. And I'm just, I play strings, I play, come around with the bass and then the guitar. And uh, he just got a cello. And I got to say, that is a, a beautiful, most amazing, probably one of my favorite instruments the cello is just so deep and so fits in a different world of how it sounds oh yeah it's the most human i think the human voice of the stringing instruments although i have a buddy who plays viola and it comes close <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah so we've noticed like how we play 
And I guess, I don't know, maybe you could give me some pointers or um, some ideas of how to hone our abilities. Because when we jam, we, we, you know, I strum the strings on the guitar and he matches it with his, his, uh, his drumming. Yeah. But, but um, it must be on a different level when you got to compose and, and because we've tried to introduce and invite other people into our mix to try to make a band. But, you know, we don't all resonate the same way as me and my cousin do. Yeah. And so that must be something to play around with. I don't know. Do you have any experience with uh, being a composer and having to make sure uh, people can become in sync and play harmoniously? Well, you, you know, compositions changed a lot. Um, most pop music is, um, is spontaneous in a way. Like the band gets together and somebody comes up with some lyrics and somebody comes up with a lead line and and then you kind of flesh it out into a song. But there is like written down stuff. Uh, you know, Michael Jackson's stuff was pretty much all written down. And people just showed up. They knew what they were going to play. Everybody's parts are written out. You know, it's a little bit different than your normal stuff, although uh, similar to in many ways the way a jazz chart looks. But if you're just talking about like jamming and making something happen, now that's that's cool because one of the things we can do today that wasn't available back in the day it's how easy we can record something and listen to it back and i think that the primary sort of um tool if you will for composition is hearing how you sound Mm -hmm. and whether it sounds right and then when it doesn't you can fix it you know really quick and then eventually come up with a a musical form that fits and everything's working together so that's just one-on-one but expand that out. And if you're working with a band, yeah, it's really important to get people on board who feel the same way and resonate with you because you're doing this group thing. And <laughs> it's like a committee, you know, people laugh. They say, if you want to make sure nothing ever happens, form a committee. <laughs> but, um, and you know what that's like in the military. There's, there's things in the military that just will never happen, but yeah. there are things in the military that you're drilled in and you're capable of doing and you do together that turn out to be amazing. So um, building in the skills, making sure everybody is a similar skill level, similar mindset, uh, you can go a long way with that. And finding those people in the musical world, you know, um, I think the best way to go about it would just be to listen, listen, listen. listen. And you'll know if you hear music that lights you up mm-hmm. and whether or not you want to, you know, try to connect and play with those people and, you know, find a, a jam session or open mic, um, ask them over and hang out in the studio and just play for a while and see what works and what doesn't and the the cool thing about the the environment today is that people understand the sort of transitory nature and they'll know if they're resonating with you you'll know if you're resonating with them and if it's a two-way street wow you've got something you can you can put something together and see what happens mm-hmm. I, I was thinking as we were talking here about a and you mentioned the cello which just it triggered it for me too there's a group out there called sweetwater string band oh, and they're they're they bluegrass they're yeah they're folk bluegrass and and the, the like lead person is a singer and a cello player so imagine bluegrass you know upright bass somebody's got an acoustic guitar there's a mandolin player yeah and then this guy on the cello who also sings the mandolin player sings too so they've got two vocalists and and it's a strange and very beautiful instrumentation that just serves them in this new way. And, uh, you know, the sound that you can make, like if you invited a sax player in to, to jam with you guys or whatever, a tuba <laughs> player, I mean, just think, think weird. Yeah. Um, 
you know, a harp player or somebody who can play lead lines on a, I don't know, an oboe. Just, it's the craziest thing, but the sky's the limit. And you can kind of do it these days where you couldn't before because, you know, guys can track with you from thousands of miles away. They hear your stuff and they lay down a line over the top and you go, hey, that really sounds cool. We got to get this bagpipe player over here. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, whatever crazy thing. And, um, and that's doable these days, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wonderful. <laughs> it is, it is. So, I mean, I'm trying to be encouraging here rather than discouraging because no no that's good it's basically trial and error and uh yeah yeah trial and error you just got to play back listen see what you got to tweak and it's a process you know it is you and, can't and always become in sync all the time and just play great all the time you know it's, um, it's not always love at first sight yeah but um sometimes okay so we're re-watching the last season of stranger things sometimes the best person for the job is like right under your nose but you're resisting it <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, when you're in that place, I think the most important thing in composition is sort of release the outcome and put your attitude on hold and just see what happens, you know? And I've been in places like that where I'm way below the ability of the other people in the room and I just feel like, oh my gosh, why am I here? But somehow the magic happens. It's very humbling. <laughs> very humbling, yes. I see here that you're also a, a Reiki level two. Um, yeah. Energy work is important. <laughs> I, I can imagine so when you're, when you, you know, play a lot of instruments and got to compose and just, but how, how did you get into to Reiki level two? Like, so I didn't know uh, they had levels. I've, I had Reiki myself. Seems like this helps you with your music and, and, and what it, you do. it does. I, I've been, I guess, fortunate to be introduced to a bunch of different kinds of energy work. Um, and including some really crazy stuff they're doing in chiropractic these days that's energy work, basically. It, they call it network spinal analysis, but it's basically the movement of energy. Um, and, and Reiki was sort of a gateway to that. There's a, another level of Reiki. I think Reiki 3 is when you're a teacher and you can open the Reiki gateway for other people. But I stopped it too. I didn't figure that being a teacher was something I needed. But there's... Um, there's a guy actually, he's in your neck of the woods in Arizona. Dr. David Berselli has taken this to another level where um, he does what he calls trauma release exercise, TRE. And I learned TRE from an army ranger, a veteran. And he told me that they use this exercise when they come back over the wire after a mission to release the traumatic energy of the mission. And um, I thought, oh, this is amazing. This is a, you know, you can deploy this in, in the field. You can actually release traumatic energy. And oh, wow. all of this stuff is related. The, the energy that you can release with music, the emotional energy that music lets you release, um, the kind of energy work that goes on in Reiki that's healing work, that's uh, all energy-based. This trauma release exercise and network spinal analysis are based on the somatic wave, which is something you can Google if you're into that. Um, but it's it's energy, and it's energy that that is inside of us moving all the time. There's studies on the vagus nerve and people at a place called Heart Math up in the Silicon Valley have done all kinds of work with this. I just read the other day that they actually have identified a quantum particle that's a sound particle. Oh wow! Called no a, way. a phonon. Yeah. So these the, these energies are um, I don't know subtle energies, whatever we're starting to learn that there's a lot more than what we can hear or feel or see or touch or smell. Um, that's, that's a fundamental part of the way the universe 
is. Uh, and Reiki, I think, is a is a gateway into how to tap and use some of that energy that's in the universe that we can't really measure with our physical senses, but that we know is out there. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of music or that kind of energy also exists in the um, in the communication that that is sound and rhythm. You know, it's it's very much a part of music to have that subtle energy. I will figure out what you want to call it. I mean, <laughs> pick a term, right? Yeah. But but that's a huge component of sound and uh, sound and rhythm. That when we know that it's there, uh, we can put it to work, make it make it work for us in useful ways. So Re- Reiki's sort of been. It's come alongside the music practice in, in a very helpful and healing way. And I, I use it like TRE. I use it often. These self-care modalities are so important for us. Yeah, I can only imagine it like help you hold that space. When uh, To me, I feel like when I jam and I am on point with music, whether I'm singing and playing at the same time, which is something I definitely have to work on. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. <laughs> um, it's kind of like channeling to me. And uh, so when I saw your, your Reiki level two, and I was wondering if there should be other courses of action I should take. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it. I mean, it's energy and it's innate within us. Yeah. I think you're onto something there that it's when innate within us. I know we like to look at like guys who freestyle, for example, that looks so hard to me, (laughs) you know, and I know something about what it takes to write a poem and, Rap is so, it's like a different level. It's like improvised poetry. You know? It's a different form of art. Yeah, it's, yeah, improvised. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. I can imagine what it must be like to have a brain that can do that. Or, you know, even like comedy improv. There's some special people out there that can do that so well. And it, it just blows me away that that's possible. On the other hand, um, why not, right? I mean, maybe you can learn to freestyle. Maybe you can learn, of course, you can learn to improvise. People have been teaching jazz improvisation for a long time. And hey, even like, you know, J.S. Bach back in the day uh, improvised a whole bunch of stuff that he had to play. The dude played, what, six service, six church services a day? <laughs> and <laughs> That's a lot. You know, that's a lot of music. So um, it, it's cool to me that we see so much of this improvisational ability or here, I guess is better with saying we can hear so much of it now. And it's not such a mystery anymore. It turns out that most of the major genres of music have somebody somewhere that's really pushing the envelope on improv. And uh, is it composition? Uh, I don't know. But it's certainly a in the moment kind of being in the flow. Maybe it's even meditative. I mean, I'd love to be able, able to ask somebody who can freestyle what it feels like when that's happening, you know? Mm-hmm must feel the same as when you're just starting out and trying to, and you finally get it. Like you're, you're working on a tough lick and you finally master it and <laughs> yeah. it just, it feels so good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you're in the flow and it's like, yeah. yeah, I wonder if it's like that for people who are like the top creative geniuses at their level, whatever that is. And, um, and that, that's another thing that's just beautiful about uh, music and that creative expression in general is, um, you know, when it's right, you know, when it, you hit, just nailed it right on its head, you like yeah. it, you can see some tweaks, but you know, it's, if it's right and, or if it's wrong, like, nope, I don't like that at all. Let's start over. And, and, uh, I guess and you, you, you get immediate feedback, you know, people in the room are going to look at you funny if you hit a wrong note, 
But if you hit it twice and look like you mean it, they'll go, oh, that's what you meant. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, there's that sublime moment where like you finish a song and the room is completely silent. And everybody is just like in that place where nobody wants to break the mood, you know? <laughs> and, um, and that can happen the other way too, where, you know, at the end of a concert, nobody wants to stop screaming and yelling and jumping around. That's magic. That's, that's, I think what we're all headed for, you know, at some level, we got to get to mm-hmm. that place and figure out how to recreate that regularly. Cause it's, <laughs> it's talk about healing. It's way beyond healing. It's just this beautiful space of shared acceptance of everything that's just happened. Do you have a, uh, I'm sure you do have uh, many because uh, you said that you like to perform on stage and uh, it must be such a, an adrenaline, such a good high to uh, have a, a nice performance and then really make know that you catered to the audience that what they wanted. Um, is there any like personal ones that just like stand out that just give you so much euphoria that you're like, Oh yeah, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I want to keep doing. Or it was like a slow progression of, um, yeah, it's a slow progression, but from the moment that I played ragtime for people as a, as a performance, um, I've known what that feels like and it can go a lot of different ways. I mean, it can be euphoria, um, at the senior recital that I finally took, you know, a, an actual college level piano performance degree, bachelor's degree, but at my senior recital, I had to play all this music and I played right before intermission, the Beethoven uh, Moonlight Sonata. And if you've seen that thing of the pizza guy who plays the piano at his customer's house, it went viral. Um, What he's playing there is the third movement of the Beethoven Moonlight Sonata. So everybody knows the first one's really slow. It's kind of boring. Everybody's heard it before. And then it ends with this giant, angry, fiery, incredibly difficult, you know, uh, final movement. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because after I played that, of course, it was intermission. I bowed, I walked off stage, went into the green room, and I immediately just began to weep uncontrollably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know what the audience was feeling at that moment, but um, I had this emotional release that was profound. So sometimes it comes in the form of euphoria, and sometimes it just comes in the form of you know, oh my gosh, just let it all out. Mm-hmm. And my teacher came back at intermission just to see how I was doing. She finds me in there crying. And I'm like, you know, I've got to <laughs> play the second half. And, and she, she knew what had happened. I wasn't concerned or worried. I just it had this, um, this connection to the music. And I had to let that all go so that I was ready for to start the second half of the recital. And that's what was going on. You know, it just sort of like comes out. And um, I've learned to welcome experiences like that when they happen. They're so, they're so crucial to our uh, understanding of the music. Like until you get it at that level, it isn't truly yours. And even after you do get it, it's still Beethoven. But even after you do get it, you know, there's always more to unpack in, in a riff and different ways you can play it and, and different ways people will hear it. And, uh, you know, it's different on Friday than it was on Monday. And it's always going to be different. Huh? It, it's just, that's the beauty of it, you know, to be able to allow that and to allow whatever the music is, is saying to resonate with you so deeply that it has to come out. It just has to come out. Do you also uh, have a podcast? Like, do you, um, you know, I thought about that. 
I've been encouraged. You know, lots of people say you should have a podcast, and lots of people do. Um, mm-hmm. At the moment, though, I'm finding it's actually more fun for me to guest on podcasts. Uh, I have met the most incredible people, Michael, uh, yourself included, and through no nothing more than the intention of trying to find interesting podcasts to you know contact the host and guest on. I, I've learned so much in the last couple of months about things where I never would have known stuff before and just met incredible people doing amazing things in the world. Mm-hmm. It almost makes me somewhat hesitant to start into the, <laughs> you know, to add something more to the noise, right? Yeah. Well, so, it's uh, fairly easy to do. Um, I can help you set up if you want. I mean, we're practically next door neighbors. I mean, San Diego is not far from Yeah, we're not far away. Here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm always in LA for some reason. Uh, working in the film, so I really appreciate that. It's um, it's a good thing, and I'd love to know more about. Of course, this we can edit this out too. But I'd love to know more about what you do in film. Uh, I'm somewhat connected to that industry in a very independent way, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's just it's great to know people. You know, there's more than one reason that we found each other. No, yeah, and uh, this is what's great about podcasting is because. Um, you learn so much through people and it's a, it's just a good way where you can sit down and talk and have a genuine conversation. And yeah. that's where a good amount of learning occurs rather than, you know, having a book just being banged in your head and having some dry readings. You don't really want to read about um, when you yeah, I got a, someone that has a passion about it. It's much more easier to learn and, and grow that way. I agree with you so much on this and what we need more of the, in this world right now is this authentic uh, connection and it's difficult to do uh, I don't know why it's so difficult to do one-on-one just random people along the street whatever but over podcasting it's really simple to be able to find people who are in your lane and you know, have meaningful conversations about them that might benefit other people as well who knows who's going to listen to this 20 years from now oh yeah that was Michael and Bill you know <laughs> but um, why not add to that and be a part of that. It's, it's a beautiful thing what podcasting has done to help us connect authentically. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find where I was briefly acquainted with this, but I remember seeing something when I was uh, reading up on you. I think it was uh, an old news story about you saying that you, uh, you slightly suffered from schizophrenia and you, and you use music as a way to kind of help you cope with that. Yeah. So um, when I had, I've had the, the, great privilege of working with two different therapists who are way outside the box. Uh, You know, they're both like PhD level people in clinical psychology, but they had other modalities that they were open to using like enneagrams and um, EMDR, which is now sort of in the mainstream and um, aromatherapy. I mean, it's just like all these aspects of what goes on. Uh, One of the most popular ones is thought field therapy or emotional field therapy that's tapping. Uh, that's, in the, that's in the place of a lot of self-care right now, which is great. But my point is, um, when, you, when you're doing this kind of work, uh, when you want to go deep, like trauma therapy, mm-hmm. it's so amazing to be cared for by people who really understand that the journey is entirely individual. And even though we have scientific guidelines that can help us along the way, the way is something that is very personal and it's going to be different for all of us. So I say that as background because one of the psychologists I was working with offered me the chance to take this test and it's a pretty standard test. Um, It's not Myers-Briggs, but it's, it's like that where you actually answer 
oh, there were a couple of hundred questions. And then it goes off to be scored and you get the results back. So um, the results from my test were such that when the test came back, my therapist called me in and said, Bill, I have to, re I have to check some of these answers with you because uh, the, the people who scored the test were concerned that you might not have answered them within the, you know, the normal parameters. Like what answer A conflicted with answer B, like they mm. were two different things, right? Okay. Different questions, of course, but the answers typically were not, or the questions were typically not answered in a way that I answered them. So she went through a few questions and I confirmed the answers, which I still felt the same way. And then she said, okay, so here's the result. She said, first of all, uh, the test has re revealed that you are clinically depressed and that you are second and that you have schizophrenic tendencies. <laughs> and we talked about oh, wow. that. Because if you're looking like a spectrum, uh, clinical depression is on one end of that spectrum and schizophrenic tendencies are on the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. And the reason that they'd questioned some of my answers is because I blew the chart. I, I didn't fit the, the norm. I was outside the box, you know? I, I, I blew the scale at both ends. So they couldn't actually give me a diagnosis, but they could say, based on your answers, <laughs> right? Yeah. And of course, this is not news to me because I've never fit into a box. And so I just kind of laughed about it. And so did my therapist. Um, but it did give us some insight. And I think it's important to recognize that, you know, as, as good as science is, it's only as good as what it knows today. Yeah. And I suspect that the next kind of test, if I were to take it, you know, might have a better way of categorizing me than just saying, hey, we give up, Bill, <laughs> you're off the charts at both sides. <laughs> so um, I use that as an example of, uh, of encouragement, really. Um, yeah, I have felt really sad for a long time in my life. But hey, my job is to go deep into emotion and, and perform that mm -hmm. so that I can convey authentic emotion to people who are listening. Um, and yeah, I've, I've had moments when, I mean, ragtime is not something that you can play and be sad after playing, right? <laughs> it's highly animated, amazing, crazy work. And yeah. uh, I've got a recording of the Tiger Rag on there. Part of that you play with your, you know, with your left forearm. <laughs> make the sound of the tiger growling. It's like, that's not, quote, normal music that people would hear. So you have to be able to go quickly from incredible melancholy and sadness of, say, Rachmaninoff to this, this funky, crazy joy that exists in the piece of ragtime that ripped off Rachmaninoff's C-sharp minor prelude, right? It really is out there. And I play them back-to-back -back sometimes in concerts. So it's that diversity, if you will, that the test revealed. And I love to put that out there so that it opens up a conversation like the one we're having right now yeah. <laughs> about how that result was achieved and, and in some ways how crazy it is. <laughs> <laughs> so this test just trying to put you in a box and it must have been quite humorous because you definitely don't fit in this box. Yeah, it was. And I didn't see that coming. But once I, once it, you know, we got the results back, it made perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you want to put a musician in a box? I mean, the best you're going to be able to do is kind of maybe assign them to a genre. Yeah. But you know, that musician, whoever it is, wants to bust out of that genre like you can't believe. And hey, I'll give you a great example. So, you know, Diana Krall, right? Uh, the singer? Yeah, singer, okay. piano, jazz piano player, whatever. I mean, her music was crazy mainstream she was the next i don't know or maybe the first of that genre of jazz singer 
jazz piano player, incredible voice, incredible skill. And then um, her music started to change and she started to get kind of weird. And it was like, whoa, this is, this is something else. But I think every musician is, is put in a place where they want to break the mold. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to do the next thing. My wife's a fine artist and she's at that place too. She likes like, wants to paint something new, wants to go in a new direction, wants to come more from her heart in an authentic place instead of just painting what people want to buy. So that's a challenge. And that is part a of challenge. The, you, know, <laughs> you want to earn money, you've got to do something that people want to consume and pay you for. And um, hopefully you're able to earn, earn enough off of that that you can support your, your exploration as well. And um, I think Diana Krall is very, very brave to go out there and just say, no, this is, this is the way I want to play it now. And I trust that my audience is going to either stay with me or not. And, um, but I have to come from a heart and I have to do this. And, and that's marvelous. You know, think of uh, George Harrison who did the same thing after the Beatles, like his post Beatles music is amazing. Same with the, same with Paul McCartney. Yeah. Paul McCartney. Yeah. Different genre style, whatever sound, but they had to follow their heart, you know, and, and what an amazing thing and how glad I am that they did. That's courageous to do is, you know, kind of commit what you feel inside and just follow your heart because yeah, it's not, it's not easy if it's not, you know, quite popular to make some funds off of it. <laughs> yeah. And Hey, maybe you're the lucky one who, you know, is able to create something that is new that people will pay for like Billie Eilish or Lizzo or whatever. <laughs> and, and that's amazing. But how many Lizzo's and Billie Eilish's are there that, that didn't, whatever, for whatever reason, timing, whatever, didn't get to that place, but feel the same way to have the same passion, have the same drive. And for the five or six people that know who they are, they inspire the same kind of response in those five or six people that, you know, Lizzo inspires in millions and Billie Eilish inspires in millions. It, it's not about, you know, how many likes you have. If you're a musician, if you're an artist, it's staying true. Mm-hmm. That's really, really hard. Really, really hard. Especially if your day gig uh, has nothing to do with your passion and your music. It's not, it's not easy, but it's going to be better in, in the long run. Um, I was just saying that um, it, you're, you're playing an amazing role for musicians in the Valley. Um, it's necessary for musicians to be able to talk to their fans outside of the stage. And I feel that, that the ability that you're giving folks to have that voice and to be able to say things about, you know, how it is in life and what you feel and just like normal people and communicate that way, that's, that's a really important role that you play, Michael. And I'm, I'm completely honored to be a part of that, even though I'm not even near the <laughs> valley. But um, it, it's a beautiful thing to hear that. And to offer that, that puts you in a lane that's really unique, my friend, and, and necessary, I think. Well, well, thank you very much. I, uh, that definitely means a lot to me. I, I like that. That's uh, definitely going to make me continue as far as I can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As, as, as long as you can keep doing what you're doing and keep doing that until it changes. <laughs> <laughs> and it will. Because this is music. Yeah. <laughs> it's always changing. But um, kind of wrapping up here, but I, I kind of definitely want to dig a little bit deeper on, um, on you having, I guess, uh, a little bit of depression and slight schizophrenia. Yes. And, um, and just, and just warn me if I go a little too far, but I like to be an open book and kind of experience the, the raw materials inside. Um, and it seems like this is 
before you kind of committed to your passion of music, right? Is when you're experiencing. Well, I've experienced that all my life. Um, They tell me that those kinds of things are just part of who we are. And I remember as a, as a kid, a teenager, my adolescence was spent in a very sad place, not for any reason externally, but just because I think I was doing so much heavy music, heavy classical music at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I've become very familiar with those very deep emotions. People like to call them negative, negative emotions, fear, anger, sadness. And you know, my job, as I said before, was like bringing those emotions to an audience through the music that I was playing. I also played other things, of course, like ragtime, and I was part of a Dixieland band for a while. I was the, in the pit orchestra as a, as a piano player for musicals in high school and after that. And so I had plenty of fun with it as well. Um, but society likes to kind of label us by our extremes. So, um, and, and that's fine. I'll, I'll just go with it. At one point in my life, uh, that sad, depressing music was there to actually save my life. And this oh, wow. was you know, 2007 or so, um, when I just felt like I was done. It was very objectively said, no, I've ticked all the boxes here. There's not much more I have really left to do in life. Kids are in college, you know, it's kind of wrapped up everything in a bow. I'd been divorced. uh, Just, you know, it's like there were things that could have been triggering, but I just sort of felt like I was done. But instead of like looking for a gun or finding a rope, I decided for whatever reason to just sit in a chair and put on some music maybe to just let that beautiful sound and rhythm flow through me one more time, you know, before it was all over. So I put on the music and sat in the chair, put on the headphones, put on repeat and, and just stayed with the music. And I had that cathartic experience again, where I just began to weep. And I don't know how long I was there hours. I, you know, I sat down and before sunset and at one point I just, I woke up and music still playing in my head. I just woke up and I woke up, I felt so much different. I was like awake and, and inspired and invigorated and alive. And that whole potential for ending my life, for stopping breathing, had just sort of gone. It was out the window. And um, ironically, the next morning when I woke up, I wrote a piece of music, but <laughs> that's a that's different story. But it, it changed everything. And I started to realize that the intention to allow music to work on me was something that other people could use as well to, to just take the time to let the music speak to whatever it is about us that needs speaking to. And that night for me, it was speaking to the, the, the sadness and loss, I think, of what wasn't really a big failure because I'd raised a couple of kids and they were in school and everything was cool. But it was just like an emptiness of, of mourning my loss of meaning, mm. no purpose, not rudderless, but just like, no, I've, I've been there, done that. Now it's time to move on. But instead of moving on to the end of my life, I moved on to the beginning of my new life. Only, wow. only because of allowing the music, Michael. And, and that experience has stayed with me clearly, of, of course, any of those kinds of experiences would. It stayed with me and it's helped me to realize that um, people who are thinking of suicide or have taken their own lives uh, must come to a similar place and that that choice at that moment, whatever way it goes, is such a vulnerable and beautiful spot to either to accept whatever happens without judgment 
and and know that that was the right thing for that person. So, yeah, and I still think about suicide a lot. It's it's not like it ever goes away, but it's it's a wonderful, empowering thing to make the choice to keep breathing. Mm-hmm. And in the same breath, I can say it's a wonderful, empowering thing to know people who have also taken their own lives with honor and dignity and been able to say, yes, I was here and I made my mark and now it's time to go. It, it just gave me this, this um, incredible non-judgmental perspective on the whole subject of life and death. And um, I've enjoyed my life since then. It's been even more difficult than it ever was, but it's so rich and full when you allow that emotional envelope to open up just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And you could, if you're in that place right now, and if you're thinking about how to expand your emotional envelope, um, music can do that, provided that you just sit back and allow it. And it will do that for you in, in a way that will bring you to a new place and a new understanding of being able to engage with your emotions without fear. You know, even if fear is one of them, if you practice your engagement with emotions, they, bec- they become quite friendly and they lose their ability to, um, to derail you and they release their energy in a way that you can put to work for good. That's a marvelous thing. And you don't have to be a musician to do that. I just happen to be a musician. I listened that night. But if you are a music consumer, music will work on you this way too. I think that's mm-hmm. why people keep going to the symphony. You know, they, there's something. They can't really tell you what it is. There's something and they just need it. They know it's like food. They have to have, <laughs> you know, whatever. They have to have symphony food. Or they have to have grunge rock food. Whatever that, that is, it has to be a part of their diet. Otherwise, you know, they'll starve. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I mean, diagnoses are fine. That's a great way of being able to help people who need assistance mm-hmm. and get them into the track and our medical industrial society needs them and it's all good. But, oh my gosh, we're much more than that. You know, an alcoholic is much more, more than alcoholism and post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury is not something that defines you. It's something that opens a pathway that you didn't have before. And I think suicide is that too this being Suicide Awareness Month, um, I think suicide or the ability to confront it with a full awareness is that kind of thing too, saying, hey, Bill, yes, this is an option, but there are other options you may not have thought about them before, but let's put on some music and see what they might be. Let's see what you feel. Wow. You said that so poetically. I didn't, I'm at a loss of words. I'm like, <laughs> thank you. Kind of lived experience, man. <laughs> uh, it kind of seems like um, you did pass away that night. You know, instead of actually doing something, though, like you sat and you sit with the music and you kind of let the emotions take over. And I don't know if they probably were synonymous with the music that helped that moment in time, but when you woke up, it seems like you were a, a new man and yeah. you were awake, awake. And, it and, can get um, biblical really quick, but I, <laughs> I look at that and, and there's, you know, the Bible is one place where you can go for some guidance on this, but there is a sort of death that takes place. Um, the, the transformation of human beings uh, from one place to another, whatever those places are, it does involve letting go of the old stuff and welcoming the new stuff. Yeah. You know, 
And I like to think of it as like seeing, looking in that mirror and sometimes it's dark and sometimes it's full light. And if you're willing to let go that much, then there's no other way but to be reborn. Like going into the mother church, that was the point. It was when, you're, when you leave the church, when you're reborn after the mass, uh, something in you has died and something in you has been born. Mm-hmm. And if we could get back to that experience of church every Sunday, man, I'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, same thing. Right? Definitely right? be there. Definitely all want to get reborn. And uh, I've verbalized this to some people. Um, people always take it the wrong way, but, oh man, I can't wait to die. And I, I say that because yeah. it's, uh, to me, it's like going back home. You're going back to this crazy, unhuman, different dimension, however you want to put it. It's, it's, I mean, most likely where we came from, it's going back home. And it's a, it's a beautiful way how different religions paint a picture of the afterlife and what, better way to know than to actually know once you pass away. But I mean, I think it also puts more meaning once you're here right now at being a human. So. Yeah, it does change you. Like my life since that it was Labor Day weekend of 20, 2007, uh, my life since then is, is different and it, it gets more different all the time. <laughs> you know, that was a sort of big dramatic moment, but I think those moments can happen you know, like in the middle of a session. If you're recording something, you just, I've had that feeling of my skin crawling after we finish a take or something. It's like, wow, we did that, you know, or it's even better when it happens in a live performance and people in the room are getting it too. Mm -hmm. They feel that something amazing has happened. it's, um, It's such a privilege to be present for those things. I know we're getting like probably over time here, but I've got one more story that is related and um, I'll share it quickly because it's something that, it really spoke to me in a new way. It like woke me up. Um, Ishtak, no, yeah, Perlman, please do. Ishtak Perlman is this violinist who um, has, you can't walk without assistance, without crutches. And yet he, his playing is superb. So uh, when he plays, he plays uh, sitting in a chair. And he came to the San Diego Symphony and my wife and I were fortunate to be in the room and it was a standing room only crowd. It was huge. So, um, Mr. Perlman comes walking on stage and he has to use both hands with these crutches to get on stage. And it's very difficult. And it's obvious that getting from the wings to his chair in the middle of the stage is this huge effort. And he gets there and he stands there um, and everyone immediately stands up and gives him the standing ovation. So the guy has not played a note and he's already got a standing ovation. And I mean, it didn't take him that long. It may have, may have taken, taken him 45 seconds or something to get from the wings to his chair. But before he played, everyone there recognized what it has taken for him to be this person that plays sublime music on the violin and the physical struggle that he has to endure to do that on tour over and over. <laughs> and then... Um, really puts things in perspective oh my gosh and and you know this was without music it was just his presence in the room that was transformative for everybody there that night i mean nobody had to say a thing and everybody understood and that that's a musician doing that you know Um, yeah he can play like incredible music but it's more than that it's it's the 
it's all the other stuff that goes into making it possible for you to sit in the chair and pick up your horn or your instrument or your guitar sticks or whatever and begin to make music happen. Everything about your life is with you at that moment before the music starts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, live it fully. You know, you can't deny any of it. It's there for everyone to see, crutches and all. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I can say, um, and yeah, you kind of asked before. Uh, so yeah, I'm in film. Um, I create, I created a, uh, a media production company here in Phoenix yeah. and, um, just doing local, uh, videos for business owners in around the Valley, help them out with marketing. They're usually uh, on the older side to not really know how to, um, optimize their Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media. Oh yeah. Like old school, like me. <laughs> And so we, you know, we do videos and help them out with that. Uh, but we got in touch with one, um, we got in touch with one coffee shop that kind of introduced us to the coffee industry. And so took us to Honduras and then we learned about the processing of picking the cherries and the mill process, what goes on to have all this coffee shipped to the States. And then there's big brands over here. Uh, anyways, we talked to the guy. He was um, well-connected in the coffee industry. And we told him, like, hey, if we could gather sponsors, we could do a documentary and you could be our host. Uh, he was on board right away. And, uh, oh, man, it's, I could tell you just this has been taking my life all around, up and down, so many highs and lows, and it's wonderful. Um, but I can say if this doesn't all work out, I'm definitely going to fall back to be that that um, not struggling musician, but uh, that musician that has a story <laughs> and it has a lot more to sing about trying to do everything else in life. And, right. uh, and, but this is what's beautiful about music because when you go down to just the human levels of uh, interacting, expressing, uh, and this is why I like film so much, you know, when people have to in- improvise, uh, we're all just, we're all dealing with each other. We're dealing with each other's emotions. We're dealing with each other's stories. And uh, music really heightens that connection with us. And it's sad, it's, it's beautiful, it's happy, it's all the genres, and it's just so human. But to be honest, I think like one of our main purposes here on life just as a human is you know, to have that creative expression. And, and not a creative expression of like, oh yeah, you gotta go to LA to be a, the new hip hop star. Like, no, it's not like that anymore. Yeah, it's true. actually it's just, you know, capitalizing on the moment and just listening to your body because your body wants to sing or cry or yell or have this weird, not weird, but just this innate reaction of expressing. And so, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in expressing we are. It's music that makes everything else happen, in my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely paints a picture a bit more beautiful. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's a good way to to end this podcast. Um, it's a great Kotsman, It was great to have you. It was great to hear your stories, what you went through, and uh, your perspective and your musical endeavors. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. It's it's an honor to be here and support your work. I'm I'm truly like humbled to be able to be a part of this. Thank you. And, um, but no, yeah, we should stay in touch. We should definitely, um, 
You bet. We could meet and greet some time and and uh, see how our endeavors joining forces will will do. <laughs> yes, definitely. We we've got to work together. It's the only way that you know things happen. It's just random people deciding we can cooperate and collaborate on things. Let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I do got to say, um, you have a copy of this video chat, right? Uh, does it also record I, onto? It did not. It doesn't record on my end, but uh, just you know, send me a link when you're ready, and okay. um, I can hook that into all my social media and put it out there on on you know direct subscriber email, and okay, it, it'd be a pleasure to publicize this. Okay. Awesome. Well. Um, I got two other podcasts I got to edit and uh, I'm heading out in October again to Europe, uh, host Milan. Uh, nice. there's, there's another uh, hospitality convention and uh, San Remo um, coffee machines. They, they uh, make espresso machines and pretty prominent over there. But um, so I could probably edit this within this month, but I probably won't. Um, I'll probably give you a link if I'm done editing it, but probably won't post it anytime soon until after October. Oh, no, no worries. No worries. Um, there's plenty of activity happening and I, I look forward to getting this one out there when it comes. Well, Bill, thanks again so much for uh, being on the podcast. And um, I guess You're one so last thing, what, where can people find you uh, for any? Well, of course, in the uh, show notes, you'll find stuff, but uh, you want to hook up with me. The best way is through a landing page called quest.musiccare.net. And that's Quest, the old-fashioned way, Q-U-E-S-T, like Quest for the Holy Grail. Okay. Quest.musiccare.net will find me. Yeah, this is probably uh, one of my, my favorite podcasts yet. We definitely got pretty deep into a lot yeah. of things. We got through some ground, man. Well, have a great weekend. And uh, yeah.